Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. You want to discern and know God's will for your life? You have to be living your life in a righteous manner, in a way that honors God. The will of God. It's a very important and sometimes mysterious thing, isn't it? If you've committed your life to Jesus, you probably understand the importance of knowing and following the will of God. But sometimes the will of God seems so contrary to what we can see that following His will requires a tremendous amount of faith. And sometimes it requires a little divine intervention. God's will is always better than our wisdom. What seems right or we think is right or feels right to us. God's will is concerned more with the eternal than the temporal. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Joseph was a man looking forward to the life of a married man. He had his profession. He had his home. And now he was ready to have Mary as his wife and start a life and family together. All of that did happen, but it sure didn't happen the way Joseph thought it would. And as you'll hear Pastor Clay say in today's message, it required a close encounter between Joseph and an angel in order for Joseph to follow the will of God. So what does Joseph teach us? from his close encounter. Knowing the will of God is obviously important for our lives, just as it was for Joseph. And like Joseph, we can know and follow the will of God, as we'll learn today in part three of Close Encounters of the Most Important Kind. Here's Pastor Clay. We are discussing close encounters of the most important kind during this Christmas season. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at a close encounter between a priest named Zacharias and an angel named Gabriel. Zacharias was the husband of Elizabeth, who was a cousin or relative of Mary. And even in an age where she should have been past the ability to bear children, she bore a son whom they named John, and the Bible refers to as John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of the Christ. Last week, it was a close encounter between a young Jewish girl named Mary and, again, the angel Gabriel. As Gabriel came to Mary and gave to her what must have been absolutely astounding news, you're going to have a child Not just any child, you're going to have the Christ child. This week, the close encounter of the most important kind involves a young carpenter named Joseph. It's found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. If you have a copy of God's Word, please open there. We have the text on the screen as well. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, basically meant that they were engaged. In the Jewish culture, it was a legally binding contract. It's a little more than what our engagement is today. Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Father, uh, today as we look at this uh, third close encounter during the Christmas season, I pray for just your wisdom and your understanding for our lives We've been trying to look at these each week and make application for our lives, what the implications are of this close encounter for us, not just an event that occurred 2,000 years ago, an event of enormous importance. Father, help us to understand its application for us in our lives, in Christ's name, amen. That is what have attempted to do uh, during the series is try and bring out some, some implications, some application for our lives as a result of, of these encounters, this encounter that Zacharias had, this encounter that Mary had, and now this encounter that Joseph had. What does Joseph's encounter and Joseph's reaction to his encounter, what does it teach us for our lives, right? Because it, it's nice to read the stories. It's nice to see the story. But can I tell you that if we don't make application for our lives, if, if this just doesn't have some sort of impact in, in my life as I read this kind of stuff, then, then it is just a nice story. Then it is just, you know, this Christmas season and we're supposed to see this stuff. And So, what does Joseph teach us from his close encounter? Let's start with this idea this morning. Righteousness is a prerequisite for discovering or discerning God's will. Let me say it again. You can fill in a blank, by the way, if you like to fill in blanks. We have that on the back of your information sheet. Righteousness is a prerequisite. Does anybody know what prerequisite is? Probably, I could have come up with a better word. Righteousness is a prerequisite for discovering God's will for your life. Verse 18 and 19 is how it opens up. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Notice the the writer, Matthew, is very careful to make sure that we understand that Mary and Joseph had not come together. They have not consummated, even though they're in this legally binding engagement period. Obviously, a very different time than the culture that we live in today. They had not come together physically, intimately. And Joseph, watch this, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. We don't know a lot about Joseph, quite honestly. We know very little about Joseph. We know that he was from the the house or the lineage, the descendant, that he was a descendant of King David. But he was by no stretch of the imagination a wealthy man. He was, in fact, a carpenter by trade. This is a bit speculative, But he was probably a little bit or a good bit older than Mary was. Fathers tended to give their daughters to uh, men who had established some type of career or or could could financially support their daughters and that sort of thing. 
he was probably a pretty good, good bit older because, although we don't know this for sure, when Jesus grows up to be a man, when his teaching ministry begins, there's no mention of Joseph at all. So he's probably passed away by that point, which would be another indication that he might be a little bit older. He's probably passed away by the time Jesus grows to be a man. Don't know a lot about him. But what we do know about him is what the text tells us. Joseph was a righteous man. That's what the text says. Like Zacharias that we looked at two weeks ago, Joseph was not perfect. That's not what the text means. Anytime you read about being a righteous man, it doesn't mean that they were perfect. It doesn't mean they were sinless. Why? Because nobody is. No human is, is sinless. So to say that Joseph was righteous doesn't mean he was perfect, doesn't mean that he got it right all the time, but what it meant was that Joseph was living his life by faith, he was believing in God and the promises of God, and he was living his life in such a way that he was, listen to this, he was desiring to honor God with his life. That is, for me, that's as good a definition of righteousness as any I can think of. To have faith in God, trust in him for your life, and then to live your life in such a way that you're seeking to honor God with your life. That's what Joseph was attempting to do. And because he was attempting to do that, Joseph was in position to discover God's will for his life. It's a prerequisite, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just telling you right now, you want to discern and know God's will for your life, you have to be living your life in a righteous manner, in a way that honors God. You're not perfect, I'm not perfect, but to to live our life in such a way that as best we know how, based on the teachings of Scripture, and I'll have more to say about that in a few minutes, we are living a righteous life. Joseph was, and so Joseph was able to discover God's will for his life. I, uh, this was a number of years ago. I was doing a revival uh, series of uh, services at some church somewhere. I don't even remember where it was. But um, uh, during the services, uh, one evening, before the evening service, I noticed that the church was using, they were printing out uh, song sheets from songs that they wanted the congregation to sing that, um, that didn't have on the, on the sheet, it didn't have what's called a CCL license number on it. Now, a CCL license number is a license that churches uh, have to obtain that allows them to use music that is copyrighted. Okay, you with me? Churches have to have, have permission, they have to pay to get this license to be able to use copyrighted music. If they don't have that CCL license number, the church, you listen to me, the church is stealing from uh, the, uh, the, the writers of the music, the, the, the performers of the music, the music companies that produce the music, and so... You're supposed to have a CCL license. I noticed they didn't have it on there. And I thought, well, maybe the secretary just forgot. Because sometimes people don't realize you're actually supposed to put it, you know, on the screen or on a printed piece of paper. You're supposed to have the CCL license number on there. I thought, well, well maybe they just, she just didn't know that or left it off or whatever. So I said to the pastor, I said, um, uh, you know, your printed sheets here don't have any CCL license number on them. Now, I don't know whether it was any of my business to say that or not. But I just, you know, I was there. I wasn't, gonna, wasn't planning on staying. I was going to be there as long as the service. So... So I, I said, you know, and, and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we know that. We, we don't have one of those. So I asked him if he knew that it was illegal. And he said, yeah, 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 I know it's illegal. And I said something to my people about it. That's what he said, my people. He said, my people. 
I said something to my people about it. He said, but they said, we don't really need to do that because, here, here it is, it's for a good cause. It's for church. So, we, you know, we, we, don't, we don't need to spend the money because you've got to spend, you've got to buy a license. And we, we, didn't, we just didn't feel like we needed to spend that money. Now, I thought, this is what I thought at the time. I thought, what in the world have you asked me to come down here and do revival services for? Because I'm telling you right now, based on Scripture, based on my own personal experience in life, I'm telling you right now, God will not reveal his will or do anything else in an individual's life or a church's life if there's unrighteousness in our lives. If you want to discern God's will, you have to understand that you have to live a life of righteousness. I wonder how many people have missed God's will for their life because of some unrighteousness that they have allowed to come into their life. Or perhaps something God has, has, has clearly revealed that they should be doing and they've not allowed to come into their life. This is a prerequisite, ladies and gentlemen. It, it starts with this. Now, let me say this. God reveals his will in his timing, Okay? So if you are at some point in your life where you're trying to discern God's will for your life and you're having a hard time doing that, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're living an unrighteous life. God's time and he does all that. But what I am saying is, is that, that if there's things in your life that you know God's word are pretty clear about or there are things aren't in your life that God's word is pretty clear about, then you're never, I don't believe, you're going to discover what God's will is for your life. By the way, you will be able to, it's, it's, anybody can, can, can get God's, what you might call God's general will for our lives, right? You, me, anybody. For, for, anybody could read the Ten Commandments, for example, and say, okay, now I know what God expects, uh, how, I should, how I should act towards him and how I should act towards other people. Got that. Anybody can read Jesus' teachings on, on the way we conduct ourselves and say, okay, now I understand how Jesus thinks that we're supposed to treat each other. Anybody can read about our sin problem. Anybody can read about God's redemptive plan. Anybody can read about, you know, all of those kind of things and gather general information, general, God's general will for their life. But you want God's specific will? You need questions answered. You need, you need direction to turn to. You need to know what God, uh, where, where this thing is going. Righteousness is a prerequisite. I can also say, and I'll go on, I can also say righteousness, right standing before God, if you will, righteousness begins with a relationship, a personal relationship with that righteous God. And so a person must come to the place where they come to the end of themselves or trusting in themselves, just as you heard in the narration today of the Christmas story. Not through works or gifts or all this kind of stuff, but by the grace of God and his finished work on the cross. That that is how a person enters into a relationship with God and is cleansed from their, from their sins and is considered, if you will, righteous before God. And then they're living that life in a way that they're, because God has come in and because God has changed me, you, we want to live in a way that honors God. It has to begin it is a prerequisite. So, I promise, I'm moving on to the second ones. But, uh, let me say this. If you, and whether you're sitting here this morning, or whether you go home this evening, or tonight, or tomorrow morning, you know, before you head out to work, or whatever, you take some time to do a little bit of self-spiritual examination of your life. And ask yourself some hard questions. Have I allowed something to come into my life that doesn't honor God? 
Am I resisting God's leading in some area of my life? Something I'm supposed to be doing based on what his word says and I'm not doing it. Ask yourselves those hard questions if you want to know God's will for your life. I just think you have to start there. All right. Uh, Here's a second idea this morning. God's will is better than our wisdom. Righteousness is a prerequisite to knowing his will. God's will is better than our wisdom. Verse 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph's close encounter is a little different from the first two close encounters that we looked at. The first two, the text plainly tells us, Luke plainly tells us, that both Zacharias and Mary were visited by who? Gabriel, the angel Gabriel. Matthew's account, it doesn't tell us. We don't know. Matthew's account tells us that the angel came to to, uh, Joseph in a dream. The other two, it appears to be that it was, uh, you know, uh, they were awake. But the result is the same. That's what I want you to understand. The result is the same. God's will came to them through this messenger. According to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 22, the penalty for breaking this legally binding betrothal period, breaking it by infidelity, the penalty for uh, having sexual relations with a, another man uh, as, while you're engaged was stoning. You saw that in the video. According to the Levitical law, Deuteronomy 22, Joseph had the right to have her stoned for her indiscretion. At the very least, according to Deuteronomy 24, he had the right to divorce her publicly, openly, to shame her for her act of betrayal to him, leaving her a marked woman, if you will, who almost certainly would, would, no man would ever marry because of her scarlet letter, if you will. He had the right to do that. But Joseph is a righteous man. Which, by the way, side note, but this kind of points something out to us. People sometimes think that righteousness is somehow different or or separated or or completely uh, opposite of mercy. That if God is righteous, then he's not not merciful. We clearly see here that, that, that Joseph is a righteous man, but he's wanting to do the compassionate, the merciful thing. He says, I'll just, I'll just divorce her quietly. I'll just, I'll just, that way Mary can go on. Uh, she can go get away, uh, get away from all this and the rumors and the gossip and the questions. And, 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 and I can get on with my life. And, that, you know, that makes sense. I'll just, I'll just, you know, I'll just get away from her. I won't have to live with the gossip and the rumors and the innuendos and the, and the speculation about who's, who's the father of this child. I won't have to live with the fear of wondering whether I can trust my wife. Because there's two things that Joseph knows at this point. One, Mary's pregnant. And two, he's not the dad. He didn't do it. So can I even, can I even trust her? Seems like the wisest thing to do would just be divorce her quietly. Send her off, I'll get on with my life. But ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. In Joseph's case and in our case, God's will is always better than our wisdom. What seems right or we think is right or feels right to us, God always has, God's will is always going to be better.
Because, I got a little statement here for you, because God's will is concerned more with the eternal than the temporal. Verse 20 says, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Clearly, God's will for Joseph was different than what, what seemed like the wise course to take. You and I have to learn that truth. There will be times in our lives when, as I said, something feels right, or it seems right, or it's logical, or it makes sense. I'm not saying that that might automatically just, well, if it makes sense, then it can't be God's will. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that you need to be ready to discern God's will to discover because it's quite possible that it's not God's will. Just because it makes sense, just because doesn't mean automatically that it's God's will, which then makes it all that much more important for you to be in position to discern God's will for your life. Okay, God's will, God's will is concerned more with the eternal than with the temporal. Now this is the one, well let me read verse 21 then we'll say. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the one that really is hard for us. At least partly because all of our lives we've been taught that, well, you know God loves you and God wants the very best for you. Which, by the way, is absolutely true, isn't it? God wants the best for you. Why don't you say that out loud? God wants the best for me. God wants the best for me. That's right. That's true. The problem is that we, we assume that because we live in this world, this materialistic, physical, temporary world, we assume that that means that God wants the very best for me in this temporal, material, physical world. And are you ready for this? That may not be the case. Because, now we'll go to my statement that I have, in God's economy, eternal value always trumps temporary value. In God's economy, eternal value always trumps temporal or temporary value. What, what, what you value in this life is, is health. What you value in this life is, is to make a good living. What, what we value in this life is, is uh, you know, for everything to go well and to not have problems and to, right? That's, that's good stuff. We, we're not, nobody's, is anybody opposed uh, to, to an easy life in here? <laughs> but God's will is concerned more with the eternal than with the temporal. And in God's economy, eternal always trumps temporal. You and I have to remember this. Because here's a problem that we sometimes face. It's another statement that I have for you up here. God is a big picture God. And you and I tend to be little picture people. Would you admit that? You know what I mean by that? God is a big picture God. God is infinite. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God sees the beginning from the end. It's all the same. God can see it all. He can see where everything is going, each situation. God has a specific ending to this whole thing. And God sees all of that. You and I see about this much in our lives. We see us. We see our life, our issues, our problems, our struggles, our difficulties, our heartaches, our trials, our, we see our everything. And that's 
That consumes us, doesn't it? That becomes our, I mean, that is our life. That's what we experience. And so we're just living in that moment and that's all that we can see. But God sees so much more than that. And so we're back to that truth that God's will is eternally based. It's, it's more about the eternal than the temporal. A number of years ago, I met a man uh, named Mr. Ramey was his name. When I met Mr. Ramey, he had been uh, at uh, Duke Hospital for five months, staying there, living there, waiting for a heart transplant. Um, I guess because uh, the distance where he lived, or I can't remember what it was, but he had to stay right there because when it happened, if a heart came in, it was going to happen fast and he had to be there. So for five months, for five months, he'd been living in the hospital. And uh, I went to see Mr. Ramey and what I was struck by was the, the first, basically the first thing out of Mr. Ramey's mouth was what a blessing this had been in his life. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Who doesn't want to stay in a hospital for five months? Eat hospital food. Sleep on hospital beds. He talked about what a blessing this had been in his life. Listen to me. He talked about how much closer he felt to God as a result of this trial in his life. He talked about how much better he felt like he knew God as a result of this trial in his life. He talked about how many people he'd had the opportunity to share the message of Jesus with as a result of this trial in his life. Doctors and and nurses and, and people that had come to see him and whatever the case may be, other patients. That's big picture thinking. That's recognizing that that whatever all this mess can be in our lives sometimes, it is temporary with a capital T. It is going away. And that there is something eternal that's far beyond that. And so whether we like it or not, we have to come to the realization that if when when our temporary circumstances conflict with God's eternal purposes and plans and values for our life, and they do, right? That there is conflict that happens. This comes into my life. This happens. This, and those, when, when those two things come into conflict, I'm telling you, God's going God's to take the eternal every time. Now, is God concerned about our temporary circumstances? Sure he is. Of course he is. But does everybody know the difference between temporary and eternal? So why wouldn't God pick the eternal? If he's got, always got our best interests in mind. But, but, but I'm having to suffer. I'm struggling. Or I'm going through this issue. I'm going through that. I'm going through that. Yep. Look, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. It's just, I mean, it, it, Paul and his companions, it was just a constant struggle. Why? So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested or displayed in our mortal flesh. Here it is. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Anybody ever lose heart over your circumstances, your trials, your adversity, your uncertainty? Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yeah, it's, it's, it's wearing me out, or yes, I, I, might, I might be dying, or, or this is happening. This, though the outward man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Why? For momentary light affliction is producing for us, and say it, eternal, eternal 
weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now, that, that, that's true, no matter who says it. That, that, that's true, because it comes from God's Word. It's based on God's truth. But it's one thing for me to, to stand up here, you know, with, you know, I... It's one thing for me to stand up here and say it. It's another thing for the Apostle Paul to pen these words to us, this guy who knew, knew more about suffering, quite honestly, than most of us would know in ten lifetimes. He says, it's not, it, it's not even worthy to be compared. Eternal over temporary. You may not like some of the events that occur in your life. You may not understand those events that have happened in your life. You may at times wish you could run from those events in your life just as fast as you possibly could. I'm just saying to you, If God in his ultimate infinite wisdom knows that working out eternal, working out something and allowing you to pass through some adversity or trial or heartache or or tragedy in your life somehow will bring eternal glory. And I don't even have to understand what it is. But if God in his infinite wisdom knows that, then God will do that because that's eternal and that other stuff is passing away. God was asking Joseph and Mary to go through what had to be a difficult time. But it was working an eternal value, namely to bring the Son of God into the world to pay for the sins of you and me. And so, yes, Mary struggled. Mary had to face the rumors in the end. Joseph had to face the rumors in the end. Joseph had to, had to, had to deal with the questions of what in the world is going on. How, how could my wife have done this? My future wife, how could she have possibly done this? To struggle through that, the, the pain, the emotional pain they must have felt in that moment. Eternity is more important. Than temporal. All right, let me quickly just give you a couple more here. God's will always lines up with God's word. I'm going to go through these last two fairly quickly, I think. God's will always lines up with God's word. Uh, Verse 22 and 23. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And then then the word of the prophet, it's Isaiah uh, chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. The angel gives Joseph a reminder of God's word. Joseph obviously holds God's word, which would have been the Old Testament for Joseph in those days, in high esteem. And the angel says, listen, Joseph, this has been promised a long time ago. You're part of the fulfillment that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You call his name Emmanuel, and he's going to save his people from their sins. This is the promise. And so this is, this is what we end up with. God's will. It's, it's always, always, always going to line up with his word. Now, um, this is really important. All right, and I'm probably going to name a certain situation that somebody's probably going to say, you shouldn't have, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have named them or whatever. But I... This is really important because I know this is how people make decisions. We make decisions based on how we feel or what we think or what seems right or wise or whatever. And we have, we have a check, ladies and gentlemen. We have a check. All we got to do is check it with God's Word. A few years ago, contemporary Christian artists who had actually gone over, had been able to successfully move over to the pop scene as well, uh, Amy Grant left her husband for another very well-known singer, Vince Gill, who is also a professing Christian. And, uh, of course, you know, it was media frenzy. 
And I, I happen to catch some of the interviews and stuff where they're trying to explain, you know, how this happened and all this kind of stuff. And the words that I kept hearing over and over again was, well, you know, it just, you know it's, it's hard to explain. I know it's, it's hard, but it, it just felt right. Oh, how many times I've heard that in my years of ministry. Oh, it, 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 just, it just feels right. And that's what they said. We, we, we just, from the moment we met each other, it just felt like we were soulmates, like we were meant to be together. Okay, you're married to other people. Let's check God's word and see if that idea of soulmates will stand up against what God's word says about covenant marriage. We don't even have to, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? God's word trumps everything when it gets down to it. I sense this or I think that or, or I want this or I feel that or I... God's will will always line up with God's word. And if you're unsure about a situation in your life, if you're unsure about a situation or a condition or whatever, go to God's word. Now, God's word, may, you may not specifically find something uh, you're, uh, you're trying to decide whether to take a certain job. Maybe a job is available. You're trying to decide whether to take it. You may not be able to turn to chapter and verse and say, uh, goeth forth and taketh thou this job. You, you, you might not find it, but what you can find are principles in God's Word about, uh, about you, about contentment, about family, about all these different things that you look at, and then from that you appraise whether, whether the decision you're making or that you want to make or that you feel led to make actually lines up with God's Word. And if it doesn't, you have to have the courage to say, well, I'd really like to do this, or I, I think this is, but, but God's Word says this, so I can't. That's, that's how you stay in God's will. And by the way, none of us get it right all the time. We can all look back at places in our lives when we say, wow, I, I know I missed it there. I thought this, or I, this made sense to me, or, or that whatever. Made a decision and clearly ended up being out of God's will. Part of the purpose of God's word is to help keep us in God's will, to know God's will, and to keep us in God's will. All right, okay, one more. God's will demands our obedience. This uh, Logical one to finish on. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. That was part of the command as well. God's will demands our obedience. I got nothing. I wish there was a lot more I could say about that. But if I'm going to remain, if I'm going to be in God's will, if I'm going to, if I'm going to know God's will for my life, then I have to be obedient to God's will. By the way, that obviously carries on for the rest of God's will. If I want to know something else about God's will, going back to that same idea, am I living in obedience to God's will now in my life? Let me read you a story. The story is entitled, The Problem with Samson. Uh, not the Samson you're thinking of, probably. But My daughter Hannah and I uh, had a great Dane named Samson that we dearly loved. And Samson, as it turns out, was well-named. For he was big and strong and muscular. And like his namesake, he also had a penchant for wandering. We built fences. We tried chains and dog runs. We tried everything to keep Samson at home. But he'd dig under the fence or climb over it. And it drove us to distraction. So we bought the best-selling book on the market on the subject of training dogs. 
No Bad Dogs, was written by the famous British dog trainer Barbara Woodhouse, who raises Great Danes herself. One night when I went upstairs to tuck in Hannah, she had a sad expression on her face and she said, Dad, I know now what Samson's real problem is. Let me read you this paragraph. This is what she read me out of No Bad Dogs by Barbara Woodhouse. In a dog's mind, a master or mistress to love, honor, and obey is absolutely is an absolute necessity. The love is dormant in the dog until brought into full bloom by an understanding owner. Listen to this. Thousands of dogs appear to love their owner. They welcome them home with enthusiastic wagging of the tail and jumping up. They follow them about their houses happily. And to the normal person seeing the dog, the affection is true and deep. But to the experienced dog trainer, this outward show is not enough. The true test of real love takes place, listen to this, when the dog has got the opportunity to go out on its own as soon as the door is left open by mistake and it goes off, goes off and often doesn't return home for hours. That dog loves only its home comforts and the attention it gets from its family. It doesn't truly love the master or mistress as they fondly think. True love in dogs is apparent when a door is left open and the dog still stays happily within earshot of its owner. For the owner must, listen to this, the owner must be the be-all and end-all of a dog's life. That explains a lot about why my cat tries to get out every time I leave the door open. Listen to this. The real test of our Christianity. You listening to me, follower of Jesus? The real test of our Christianity isn't seen in our work or activity or even in our theological purity. It's found in this. When we have an opportunity to wander away, to disobey, to leave His presence, do we choose instead to stay close to Him? to abide in Christ, to obey. That's the real litmus test of whether I really love God. When I have the opportunity to turn from Him, run from Him, get away from Him, disobey Him. I love this quote by Vance Havner. Vance Havner is one of the great preachers of the 20th century. He passed away a number of years ago now, but Vance Havner said this. You think about this in, in, in relation to your own life and following Christ. And knowing his will, he says, you've not really learned a commandment until you've obeyed it. The church suffers today from Christians who know volumes more than they practice. I, I've told people that before. I've told people that, well, we, we, we'd, like to, you know, we'd like to see more, more Bibles. We'd like to do more Bible study. Why? You're not even doing what you've already learned. The church suffers today from Christians who know volumes more than they practice. So, I know I need to close this up, but let's just say this. Um, we have a lot of... Husbands and wives, uh, part of cross-culture. Husbands, Ephesians 5, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. If I can just give that example. As Christ loved the church. Which means Christ loved the church enough to die for the church. He died, he gave, he sacrificed himself. Husbands, do you love your wife in that manner? Do you sacrifice her needs? 
Do you listen when she wants to talk and you don't? Do you meet her emotionally? Do you, all of these things that we men struggle with, right? Can we just say it, men? We're lousy at that whole emotional stuff most times. We're lousy at times at meeting the needs of our spouse. Oh, wait, when, I don't know, it's just something else in there in Ephesians 5. I, oh, oh, yeah, something about wives. Wives, submit to your own husband as unto the Lord. <laughs> submit? Holy. Okay, let's come up with something better. Place yourself under. Is that better? Submit to your husband. So wives, do you submit to your husbands? Do you honor them and respect them? And place yourself under their authority? Whoa, whoa, whoa. listen wives. <laughs> Not just when you agree with what they want to do. Listen, I, I'm, I'm just throwing that and just and at the end I know. But what, what I'm talking about here, folks, is it, it, we have to put ourselves under obedience to God's word if we're going to know God's will for our lives. And, and we don't really, no matter what we say we may know about God or know about his word, we don't really know it unless we're actually living it and obeying it. And it's obedience. That's what God's word demands. That's what God's will demands for our lives. God's will is, is better. It's better than anything we can come up with. I think most people here would agree that they want it in their lives. So, take a lesson from Joseph. All of us could take a lesson from Joseph about how to recognize God's will by being, living your life as righteously as you know how, living according to God's will so that you're in position to hear God's will for your life. And then living your life based on God's will, moving forward in the confidence that God has the best for you, even if it may not be the best in this life, but the best for all of eternity. God's will is better than our wisdom, the world's wisdom, what we think, what we feel, or anything else. God's will is always best, isn't it? But as Pastor Clay explained today, it isn't always the most obvious. Choosing to follow God's will in spite of what it might cost us or what might seem to be a better course. Choosing God's path will not always be the easiest, but God's Word teaches us that it is always the best. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.